Hey everybody, I'm Jordan. And I'm Jose. And so today we're coming to you from a different company. So Business Blues and Booze and Tipping the Skills and all the production that we're bringing to you is now under Geo Media LLC. So today's production is brought to you by Geo Media Production. Jose, what are we talking about today? Okay, so today we're going to be discussing the tragedy of what's been unfolding in the George Floyd case. Uh, we're going to be talking about the cases leading up to that moment. We're going to be talking about the protests and is this an inflection point in America? So with that, we have two special guests with us today who are uh, going to be interviewed a little bit later. Um, so with that, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right in. Uh, so, you know, you know, over the weekend, I was reading a lot of articles and, of course, watching the news about the tragedies that have been taking place. And uh, something that stuck out to me when I was, uh, you know, looking at all of this was a segment that Trevor Noah put out where he was talking about a domino's effect. You know, it's really interesting to see what's happening in America right now and how what we've been seeing even before George Floyd is like a connection that leads up to this point of the point that we're witnessing today. Um, You know, the Ahmaud Aubrey case, right? The Breonna Taylor case, the George Floyd case, the Minneapolis police protests, um, it's like a dominoes knocking one piece, which knocks another piece and in the end connects to a giant wave, right? Um, Amy Cooper, a lot of people have seen the videos that have been shared on social media in regards to the Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper case. Um, for a lot of people, Amy Cooper was the catalyst of this dominoes effect. Um, and, and, and those listeners that may have not seen the video um it was a white woman in central park who had her dog at the park without a leash despite the park policy um and then there was a black man christian cooper who was bird watching and he asked her to put the dog on a leash and then she pretended to be victimized and threatened and she threatened the man christian cooper uh with calling the police and you know a lot of us saw the video um so Unpacking that video, right, you have this white woman who blatantly knew how to use her power of her whiteness to threaten the life of another man and his blackness, right? You know, and this was more than someone just, you know, pretending to be victimized. This was a powerful and, you know, very explicit example of an understanding of racism in a structural way in this country. Um... When she looked at that man, Christian Cooper, and she said to him, I'm going to call 911, and I'm going to tell them there's an African-American threatening my life. She knew how powerful that was. And, you know, that moment was really telling of how she perceived the police. You know, it's really telling as to how she perceived her relationship with the police as a white woman. Um, it shows how she perceives a black man's relationship with the police and, of course, the relationship of police with the black man. Um, it was powerful because so many people act like they don't know what black Americans are talking about when they say it. But, you know, in looking at this video, you could see that she had a distinct understanding, right? An understanding that, you know, there is a presumption of guilt when the police interact with a black man. And she knew how to weaponize this tool against him. And, you know, by the time they would have, you know, came on the scene, they would have sorted things out and trying to, you know, investigate who was in the right and who was in the wrong. You know, she knew that there was a chance that they could side with her story. So that was the first dominoes where you could you could feel something stirring. Um, you know, so many people are watching this video and are triggered. 
because this was in many ways sort of like you know a gotcha moment it was a it was a moment of realization where people were like oh you know so you do do this so you you know you do do this um you know it's always been spoken about but it was just powerful to see it witness it just to see it being used um and you know and this is of course on the back of a pandemic right we're in the midst of the coronavirus and you know the numbers have come out the statistics about who's being affected and dying disproportionately um by this virus um has been shed light on and you know we have the Ahmad Aubrey case in Georgia um you know so all of these things are happening and then the video of George Floyd comes out right there's a black man on the ground handcuffed with a knee on his neck a vulnerable man who was subject to execution it was a moment where you could you know take his life because he was at a vulnerable state and the officer did almost knowing that there would be no ramifications as a result of it right he had his knee on his neck for nine minutes nine minutes right and uh, what I find interesting again with just pointing out how different it feels this time um, is that immediately after this video was shared police chiefs across the country condemned the situation Fox News anchors condemned it immediately when it was posted and you know a lot of people didn't ask any questions about you know why was he arrested right why did the police officer have his the knee on his neck what was the reason right you know and i say that because in a lot of these cases you know like the air gardner case like you know other cases in the past you know people have asked those questions overlooking the fact that they have been killed by law enforcement and asking the question of why they have been killed but in this case the george floyd case uh, i didn't see that you know um so you know when the riots happened that was also a really interesting combination of everything these riots are crazy i mean they look like like a war zone i mean if you're looking at some of these uh some of these cities and it's kind of sweeping across america you know you're seeing chicago atlanta uh new york you know at the barclay center of new york people are are rioting you're seeing in atlanta cop cars are being you know torched people are throwing uh just just it's 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 insane it looks like a war zone in all these places columbus ohio it's 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 a pretty uprising place for these riots i mean it's really scary stuff how all this this unraveled in what, 24 48 hours right absolutely and, you know i live in north carolina and as does anthony peterson smooth our guest and uh, yesterday people were posting pictures of the aftermath of the protests in raleigh north carolina which is the capital of north carolina for those who don't know um and, you know there were rubber bullets that were being shot. There were buildings that were set on fire, namely a CVS that went under flames. Um, there's also another protest here in Clinton, North Carolina. And, you know, to my understanding, the Floyd family lives here in Clinton, North Carolina, which is the city that I live in and the city that Anthony Peterson lives in, our guest. Um, Fayetteville, I know, is having a protest on Monday. And, you know, what's even more interesting and back to the point that I was making about how different this feels um, the United Kingdom the UK Canada Iran Nigeria I think Italy also and many other countries are mobilizing and protesting right there there was a video on Twitter that I saw that was so moving um, 
it was in Berlin, Germany, where people were gathered in the masses, protesting outside of the United States Embassy, chanting in English, Black Lives Matter and Justice for George Floyd. The yeah, world this, is, is this is breaking barriers. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the world is watching. All eyes are on the United States at this point in time. And uh, the question is, and is going to be, you know, is this an inflection point? Is this going to be an inflection point um, in this moment? Because, again, going back to Eric Garner, right, he was put in a chokehold um, by a New York police officer, NYPD police officer, and he pleaded the same words, the same exact words that George Floyd pleaded, which is, you know, I can't breathe. And nevertheless, after his murder, there was no accountability for that officer until years later when there was protest and pressure from the grassroots. Um, you know, so it, it really is all eyes on us right now. So let's talk about uh, the protests that have been happening, right? So protests have been happening all across America, riots, um, you know, and like I was saying, you know, it, it really is an interesting combination of everything, right? On social media, um, online, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on other social media platforms, um, I saw things and people saying, you know, these riots are disgusting. Uh, these protests, you know, shouldn't happen. This is not a uh, this is not how society should be run. Uh, you shouldn't loot. You shouldn't burn. This is not how society is built. You know, and going back to something that I found interesting in that Trevor Noah clip that I was watching, um, when he was breaking, you know, things down, he he pointed something out, which was, um, you know, the contract that we sign as citizens. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to go into some kind of abstract philosophical debate or, you know, teach a college course or anything. But, um, you know, society is a contract. And it's a contract with the citizenry and those who govern. Um, you know, among a group of people, there is an agreement on common rule, ideals, and common practices, right? If you think about being a black person in America who is living in Minneapolis or Minnesota, um, who's living in, you know, Columbus, Ohio, who's living in Atlanta, who's living in North Carolina, who's living in, you know, wherever, right? What best interest do they have in maintaining that contract? Right? Reflect on that and ask that. You know, our black brothers and sisters watch time and again that this contract that they have signed with society is not being honored by that same society that forced them to sign it. When you watch the, you know, Ahmaud Aubrey case and, and you look at it, you know, Ahmaud Aubrey being shot and then you hear that those men in Georgia, you know, would have been released if it were not for the outrage and the pressure, um, you know, those men would be living their lives normally today. What part of the contract is that in society? You know, the other day, um, you know, very exciting event happened, which was the SpaceX launch. And a lot of people watched it. I saw a clip of it online. I know, I think Jordan, you may have watched it, but <clears throat> uh, the commentators were talking about the two minute and 38 seconds that the SpaceX launch needed to detach to actually pursue its mission. It was, uh, it was like on the board, it was a countdown of two minutes and 38 seconds, right? To pursue its mission. Um, George Floyd, two minutes and 53 seconds. 
had a knee on his neck when he showed no signs of life, right? What part of the contract is that? That's absolutely, that's baffling. How, how, how is, I watched that launch and, you know, two minutes and 38 seconds felt like a very long time. And for you to have mm-hmm. a knee on your neck for a long, for you know, 20 seconds longer. Nine, the knee on the neck was, his knee on his neck was on nine minutes. Nine minutes, but yeah, well, for two minutes, yeah, minutes, when he was unconscious and, and not showing any signs of life. You know, and people on social media, you know, seem to be outraged. Um, those who aren't understanding of what's going on, you know, and they're asking, why is this happening in regards to looting, setting things on fire, or just peacefully protesting, you know? This is why people are marching and protesting, because why should there be two systems of justice, right? One for those who are in a position of power, like the police officer, and one for our brothers and sisters, and minorities, and, you know, regular, ordinary people. Um, You know, when we talk about the charges that were brought against the officer that killed Floyd, um, I was watching, actually, on live, the uh, city attorney and the attorney general who gave a press conference live, touting, touting that this is the fastest that they have criminally charged a a police officer in the matter of four days. So, you know, the incident happened on Memorial Day, or I should say the tragedy happened on Memorial Day, and um, the police officer was charged four days later. Um, So they were saying this is the fastest that they've ever charged a police officer, right? And, you know, to me, that's just another flaw in our system, you know? Um, So again, uh, every day people are seeing these two systems of justice play out, and people are tired. Um, they're just saying enough, you know, enough. And the world is watching. Literally, the world is watching. Um, so, you know, it, it's tragic. It's horrific. Um, but uh, to turn the page, we do have two interviewers today. Um, one of them is my good friend, Smooth, Anthony Pearson. Uh, Anthony, how's it going, buddy? Good afternoon. Everything's going great. Awesome. Um, can you uh, introduce yourself for our listeners? Yes. My name is Anthony Peterson. I'm from Clinton, North Carolina. I'm a teacher. I teach at Union Elementary School. I'm, I teach third grade, and during the summer, I run the Boy Scout camp, I'm, where I serve as a program director for uh, Boy Scouts of America. Anthony is a community leader. He is a very respected person in this small community. Um, powerful voice. Thank you for being on today. Um, we have a couple questions for you, uh, Jordan. So I kind of just have some basic, uh, just kind of get to know you questions. So you said you're a teacher of third grade? Yes. So what's your favorite part about being a teacher? Leaving an impact on the students. Um, some of them grow up in a house, you know, without a father figure, a black male father figure. And not only that, um, I can, a lot of them struggle with poverty and growing up, um, in a poverty setting myself, I can relate, and um, that's my way of giving back to the community. Just like someone helped me, I can return that favor and help other people. That's I, that's very inspiring, and you know, being a teacher is, I think, one of the best professions you can be in this country to leave an impact. And I, I love your mentality going in with it. Um, so, how do you kind of feel with the coronavirus? And is your I'm assuming that your school was was closed. 
yes, we have been um, practicing remote learning. Um, I miss my students. I'm, I'm sure you too. I can't even imagine. Some do well with visual learning and hands-on rather than zooming and giving packages for them to complete. And I feel like they're missing out, but we're doing the best we can. And I'm doing all I can do during this time. I'm, I'm sure you are. And yeah, there's, there's so many things that, I mean, third grade, you're, you're still pretty young. So, I mean, they're missing out on some of those social interactions that they, they probably need to learn. So, you know, we're all kind of hoping this, this pandemic, you know, finds itself a safe conclusion, you know, whenever the, the time is, but yeah, that's, um, that's, that's, that's really great. And I'm, I'm sorry to see that your, uh, your school, your school year was cut short. Yeah. Uh, focusing on like, the uh, tragedy that we were just talking about, you know, and George Floyd and prior conversations uh, that we had um, when we were talking about this, you told me that George Floyd used to come to your church and how Bridget Floyd, his sister was your neighbor. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, George Floyd, his father was a musician at my church before he passed away years ago. And George, sometimes they would come, he would come to church with his father. His mother was an evangelist. And, um, which is his stepmother was an evangelist. Um, his mother passed. And I grew up in Clinton with his sister. We used to be neighbors. We all used to go outside and play, you know, hide and seek, you know, freeze, tag, those type of things. And I grew up knowing the family and they're very, they're well known in the community. They're great singers. His father, his late father used to play with James Brown oh, and wow. Millie Jackson, the R&B the singer. Wow, so his that's, daddy was that's like cool. the best musician in town. Yes, so he could just hit one note on the keyboard and everybody go crazy, cuckoo. But um, they're good people. <laughs> they're great Christian people, great moral. So the town is really hurting. Absolutely, their hearts are heavy because we know this family and we know George Floyd. Absolutely. So uh, <clears throat> we're very sorry. Know, this this nation is mourning, and you know people are hurt. People are angry, as everybody can see, you know, and, and you kind of already jumped into the question that I'm going to ask you. Um, but, you know, can you share with us your particular feeling, especially given the ties that you had with this family and, you know, the stature of this family in our community, the leaders? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. Racism still lives. Um, based on my personal experiences, I have a lot of white friends and other races, you know, not. And I, I travel. I travel a lot. And I remember one incident happened. I was in Emerald Isle. It's a beach in North Carolina. Not many black people are there. And I have a nice truck, and I, I like to kayak. And I was with two of my other <laughs> friends. We always drive in separate cars. One car is in front of me, and one car is behind me. I got pulled over by an officer. And we always go on the speed limit. I was, I was even using cruise control. And I got pulled over, you know. I had my hands on the wheel, and I was just asking my license and registration. And my friends pulled over, too. They just stayed far away, but they pulled over. And then once he saw that, he let me go. And then they asked me, why did I get pulled? Why didn't they get pulled? And I just told him because I'm black. So racism still lives. And I personally, until the issue is fixed, you know, things need to be destroyed. Damage needs to be damaged, you know, to business and property won't matter to me until black lives matter to everyone. Because we are hurting. Our hearts are heavy. Our minds are weary. And anger has set in. And if they don't want to see people angry, they should stop killing us. And it's like the more attention that's brought to racism, the more in denial they are about it. It's constantly being brought to the light, the forefront. And people, you know, they see it, but they choose to ignore it. And people can say what they want. 
but watching a person's heart will eventually seep through no matter what you try to wear or try to cover it up with. And and it's this is real and it's really happening. And people need to stop trying to act like this just began, you know, over the murder of George Floyd because they have been killing us. And this is just one of those straws that broke the camel's back. Racism lives. And I understand Very people, powerful. You know, even here in the, the southern states that we are in, North Carolina, we're very religious. And they say they are Christians, but Jesus said, love your neighbor as you do yourself. And by this love, all men would know that you are my disciples. And the golden rule teaches us to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And if you're not doing that, then you're false advertised. Racism lives. And we, it needs to stop. That's that's very, very, very powerful. And I actually had seen a movement about that, kind of what you said. I just wanted to make a point that people are pulling over if they see that a, a black man is, is or a black woman is being pulled over by a cop, that they're actually pulling up behind them to make sure that nothing happens. And it's a shame that that even has to be done, you know? That, that that there has to be an extra set of eyes kind of to be watched. But I mean, I'm happy that people are at least trying to look out for each other. Absolutely. Um, and Anthony, thank you for sharing that with us. It, like just to uh, echo what Jordan was saying, you know, that it was a very, it was very powerful. We appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing that with us. Um, you know, our condolences go to the family. Uh, there's going to be a protest today in Clinton, North Carolina at one, I believe, um, or yes. two. Um, but it's I'm going to try to make yeah, at three. Okay, yeah. so uh, <clears throat> people are going to start showing up at two um, to start gathering and, you know, talk about where they want to walk. Um, I'll definitely be in the ranks there, um, but, you know, you, you laid it out very, very powerfully, you know. It, it has to stop, you know. It has to stop, and for so long, America has turned a blind eye <clears throat> to to the issues that plague, you know, our black community and our minority communities. And, you know, it's a moment where there has to be real reform and real accountability. And there has to be a diminished, you know, deconstruction of these two systems of justice that so long have persisted into this country. And, you know, until people see this reform, until, you know, those three other officers are also held accountable because, you know, they already charged the officer that had his knee on his neck. Um, but the other three who were accomplices and who also had their bodies on this, you know, man who was handcuffed, um, they're still walking around scot-free, you know? So, yes. absolutely. So, thank you. And, you know, come on anytime. We appreciate it. Thank you for all of the work that you do in the community. You know, you've impacted my life. Um, you, you serve as a mentor to me. Um, so we appreciate everything that you do and, you know, persist and keep doing you keep impacting, you know, our lives. Um, thank you. Thank you. So we do have another guest on, um, Autumn Ford. Autumn, can you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself for those listening? Hi. Yes. Um, so I am a sophomore at Ohio Wesleyan University. I'm a majoring in communications and social justice. Um, I'm a social justice advocate. I'm really involved. Um, I am in the student government, um, Black Student Union. Um, so I'm very involved in campus and this 
these issues that have been arising are something I'm really passionate about um, finding ways to solve them. So I'm very happy to be here today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, yeah. So, you know, when I, when, whenever I was talking about, uh, you know, the inflection point in America, like I said, you know, the world is watching. And of course, you know, th this isn't the first instance that we've had. Like I said, Eric Garner, it, it was a case almost identical to this George Floyd case, you know, right. um, it really, you know, whenever I look at this, it really seems like there, there's a dam and that dam has broken that, you know, dominoes effect has fine. The, the last dominoes has finally fallen in terms of, you know, the oppression that is being, you know, implemented by the people who are sworn to protect everybody safe, right? The ideal is that they are supposed to, you know, be enshrining and that everybody is supposed to be living in and the social, you know, contract in the society, you know, and again, in at least in my lifetime, I have never seen, you know, the magnitude of mobilization, the magnitude of mobilization. Um, so my question for you is, do you think that this is going to be an inflection point in America? Is, is this a moment in time uh, where, you know, we turn the page as a country after everything that we've seen in the last couple of days in terms of protesting? Yeah, I think it definitely could be because I think for so long, um, if you look back in like history in like protests, like, like protests like the one in Selma, like all the way back over a hundred years ago, you see that it was mostly black people protesting and those were the only people who were protesting but if you look at a lot of the protests in the big cities today atlanta los angeles minneapolis here um, in columbus um, in chicago you can see that there is more diversification in the people group of people who are protesting and i think that just shows that there are there are a lot of people um, of other races who are supporting black people and the movement and trying to bring awareness to the part of the country that doesn't understand this or is not supporting this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jordan. So kind of, um, I'm going to bring you kind of back to the college campus scene. So kind of what we're talking about is basically more of a, um, you know, with, with George Floyd, with some of the stuff, we see a lot of, a lot of racism happening in, I guess, more adult situations. And I think that um, a lot of people might think that that doesn't happen in college campuses. So kind of, um, on a more kind of general note, how do you feel that this kind of, this type of interaction, do you feel like this is the behavior that also happens on a college campus? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, stuff like this happens all the time, but it goes un, unheard of. Um, I mean, for one, I know at my school, it's a great school, but if you look at like the public safety, there's no, there's no um, diversity in it. It's, it's all, um, white people, which you could see how with the diverse um, student population, how that would, um, the interactions would be, um, there'd be tension in there. Um, you would also see just day-to-day -day basis, um, the lack of diversity in the staff, um, like interactions between um, unable to be able to comprehend or um, really um, sympathize with people of color when they go through struggles. Um, I've heard of the way um, history teachers talk, like we talking about history, bringing up facts that aren't real. Um, there being arguments between like the black, um, excuse me, the um, 
Black World Studies department versus the history department, disputes about how history actually happened. You know, there are things that happen. I know I have experienced um, racism on campus, even though it's a very open campus. Um, and so these issues are happening every day. Students of color are facing every day. So I think these riots and these um, protests are not just about this one case. People are very upset about it, but it's something that happens all the time to all people of color. And that is what they're tired of. This is why people are so mad. Yeah, you're saying this is this is a movement that this 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 stands for more than maybe just the what the, what the situation is saying. This stands for an entire movement. That this stands, yes, this yeah. for like the structural racism. I mean, oh my, the whole entire time COVID's been happening, you've been hearing how African Americans are disproportionately affected. Like this is something that is always happening, always present. And I think Black people are and other people too are just tired of this um, being a problem, and everyone no one's doing anything about it. There's not been a, I mean, it's been so long since you've heard a law that's been passed against um, racism not being allowed to happen and all this and all these other things. I mean, the Emmett Tillerson law was just passed like three or four months ago, banning lynchings. And there were still four or five people in Congress who were against that. I mean, that just lets you know the, the type of mentality of some people that are still in this country and what people, these protests are trying to wake people up against and let them know like this is still happening. People are still for racist and all this stuff. And, and it happens too often and no one is saying anything. Super powerful stuff. And I mean, I think just to kind of point out some of the interesting points about this is just to have the two different points of perspectives. You know, we have someone who, who is a sophomore at, in a, in college who can, you're giving such, such a different perspective than I think most people understand. And that's why it's so powerful. Yeah, I think for sure, like I think people think for so long people thought after Obama was president because he was black that we had entered this post-racial era that racism was no longer a thing, but it's, it's in fact just not true. Like it's happening every day. It's still very much a problem. Um, and it's something that this whole entire country needs to work on. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Autumn. And uh, one, one last point um, that I did want to make and a question that I, I did have briefly was, uh, you know, one of the points that you made, um, a very powerful point was in, in regards to, you know, is this an inflection point in America? Is this a moment where we turn the page as a country? Um, one of the points that you made was that, you know, people of different genders, races, creeds, they're all joining the protests, you know, um, and we can see that clearly whenever it's being, you know, outlined on the news. Um, so a lot of people at least on my feed on my social media um are silent and you know some people have actually texted me um and other people other of my friends have that they've texted them you know in the black community and asked you know what what can i do what can i do um so w what would you say to the white person who wants to be active uh but doesn't know what to do in this particular moment um i would say there are so many things they can do for one advocate advocate for these the for these injustices speak up because these situations happen all the time on a daily basis and i have been through i've been a victim and of these situations and i've had to be the only person who speaks up because i'm the person of color so like in those situations where there's people make racist remarks or say something not right you have to speak up acknowledge your privilege um donate to places that are um trying to help solve these issues, you know? And then take it into your real life, wherever you are, if you're a teacher or if you're like in the classroom or you work in business or whatever your profession is, you can always take these um, 
issues and try to solve them in wherever wherever you are and that is going to make that is what's going to be what's going to make the biggest impact um is fixing these issues and speaking up about them on a daily basis and actually doing something and educating yourself about these problems and acknowledging that they actually are there absolutely not only when there is a high profile case like what we're seeing right now and it's dominating in the news cycle on an everyday basis. So uh, with that, thank you so much, Autumn, for joining us. Continue to work to your work um, advoc advocating for, uh, you know, the black community and the minority communities on campus. You know, I've seen the work that you have put in. You are a recipient of the Social Justice Award of our student government. You know, that's a huge accolade. Um, it goes to show the amount of work that you're putting in. So thank, thank you so you. much for your perspective. Yes, thank you so you. much. Thank you. Anytime. So just kind of to, to wrap up, Jose, um, you know, what, what would you kind of say is some of the biggest takeaways from today? You know, for me, the biggest takeaways are the looting and um, the riots. Um, and just to briefly summarize, you know, my view of it, and of course, informed by our two, you know, lovely guests, you know, people, people are tired, you know, merchandise is replaceable black lives are not of course nobody condones violence nobody condones looting but whenever again we have two systems of justice in this country and one of them turns a blind eye on our black community you know what other action can you take you know there's a quote a famous quote that says you know riots are the voice of the unheard and i think that lives true in what we're seeing today um, of course, there's nuance, you know, there's been cases where, you know, officer, undercover officers have been breaking windows. There's cases where white people are actually, you know, just wanting chaos and they're out there starting the violence and the, uh, you know, making it into a riot. But aside from that, you know, that's really the point that I want the listeners to understand, you know, again, going back to the two systems of justice, you know, think of like, you know, I'm not going to say put yourself in the shoes of a black person because you absolutely cannot um, because you're not black. You know, so going back to the point that Autumn made in terms of her message to our white brothers and sisters and other communities, you know, what you can do is, you know, like I said, be active. You know, activism is about being active. It's about action. And, you know, frankly, simply posting and only posting a Black Lives Matter and tag 10 friends chain on social media or simply like in posts that you see on Facebook or on Twitter, you know, they can bring awareness, but the message can really get lost. Um, so donate to the Minnesota Freedom Fund and other funds that are active around the country, like pro bono cases. Um, you know, it starts at home. You know, don't let implicit or explicit racist language or acts slide by when you're with your friends. Um, even if you think it's not quote unquote intentional, right? Ushering change and addressing these injustices is going to require all of us to put in an effort and fix it in our own homes if it's present. Um, you know, change and reform can be made on the macro level too. Um, so with that, this is the uh, topic for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. And so this is a GeoMedia LLC production, and any of the views are not the representation of GeoMedia LLC.